God, we know that you are good and that you love us and that you show up in our lives sometimes in very obvious and direct ways and sometimes in ways that we never saw coming. And Father, we pray that whatever way you show up today, whether it's something we've anticipated and prayed over or something that just totally caught us off guard, that you will give us ears and hearts to receive that. Father, I pray over this room for the needs, the hurts, the pains, the the successes, the victories of everyone in this room, that today you would reveal yourself to them, to us, that we would know who we are in you, that we would find life and strength and hope in you. Father, you are good and we love you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we all said. So our very first verse that we look at is where we get the name of our church. Uh, And I always thought it was going to be an easier thing um, to have a name that was easily tied to a verse. And so before I go any further, I want, you to tell, I want you to understand one simple thing that can have two very simple outcomes. Today's sermon I've been working on for um, 13 years. Now, if it goes great, <laughs> you'll say, wow, God showed up. If today bombs, and I've been working on this for 13 years, holy smoke. So today is really a day that, um, that I've thought about and prayed over and anticipated for, for a long, long, long time. And for those of you who have called this place home for a long time, that you know that we used to be in a place called the Carriage House. Um, and in Burlington, right just north of the fairgrounds, and the Englands are here today. And it was such a God thing of how we ended up there for them and for us that we were able to provide them. Um, they had an immediate need that God used us to fill. And we had an immediate need that God used them to fill. And it was so obvious. So I'm going to tell you a quick story about that. <clears throat> um, a friend of mine who was a local attorney, I'd done a lot of work for him on his house, and um, Kevin Murphy. Some of you know who Kevin is, um, needed a TV delivered to his house. Now, um, and Kurt may remember this, if if you know Kevin, you know that this TV just had to be larger than life, right? I mean, it took four men and a baby to carry this thing in. So uh, Kevin calls me, and he said, hey, I'm having a TV delivered. There's a guy who's delivering it, and he's got a guy helping him that's kind of older. Um, Can you be there on site to help? And I said, yeah, sure. So I get there, and I think one of my kids was with me, and um, Kurt England is the guy delivering this TV. So we help him get this big monster downstairs, and it was crazy. So that was in the spring of that year. Well, flash forward to October, we are looking, we had already set the date to start One Hope, and we are scrambling to find a place, because hotels were outrageously expensive, we couldn't find any place at all. And somebody on site here uh, in our church family, Shelly Coleman, said, well, what about the carriage house? And I said, what's the carriage house? And she goes, oh, it's this reception hall in Burlington, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you know, you should call and, and talk to this guy. And I said, okay. So I called, talked to the guy. On the phone, I know his voice immediately. And I have no idea who this guy is. And I'm thinking, man, I know your voice. I know your, why do I know your voice? I know your voice, I know your voice. So I said, well, here's who we are, here's what we're looking for. And he said, you know, let me talk to my brother, but I think this could be a thing that works out for us. And we're starting. Our opening day, we have already sent out information in the mail to people saying our opening day is, so I'm scrambling. So we, so we figure out, like, okay, maybe we have a place, maybe we don't. 
So when I meet Kurt, I said, Kevin Murphy. And Kurt goes, what? And I said, you delivered a TV to Kevin Murphy's house off of Narrows Road. And what's that? Is that Erlanger, Crestview, whatever that area is called? I don't know. Kenton County. And that's how we ended up in what used to be our home. It was our home for 12 years. This is our 13th year in existence. And so um, that's one of many stories that go along with One Hope Community Church. So Paul says, you know, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. And he was literally in prison. He said, I urge you all to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. So in my head and in my heart for a long, long time, I had this place before it was ever called One Hope, that felt different and looked different and appealed to a group of people that really were not going to end up, end up in a church anywhere else for any, other, for any reason. That they could find One Hope and go, that's not what I thought church was going to look like. That's not what I church, thought church was going to sound like. Um, that guy wears shorts. I'm a little uncomfortable with that when it's 36 degrees outside. Um, and, and so... Uh, you know, if this is my personal rebellion against winter. Uh, I, will, I will rebel as long as I possibly can against that. Um, so, many of you were called to one hope. And I'm very glad you are. And so, <clears throat> we sang a song this morning that many of you perhaps grew up in a context where you knew that song and you sang that song. And I want to tell you a little bit about that song. The song was written by one of the most celebrated poets of his day. And William Cooper, um, spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, was born in 1731, died in 1800. Uh, William Cooper was praised by many, many people for his poetry. But he was also institutionalized for insanity. And he also had suffered with depression. And he also attempted suicide. And he had a stutter and a stammer in his speech. And most of his young adult life, he was tortured. And because of those things that not just happened physically outward, but happened in his head and in his heart, he felt isolated from almost everybody in his life. And then one day he happened to move into a small village where his backyard butted up to another backyard. And the backyard that that other uh, house was attached to, the man who lived there, his name was John Newton. Now if you've attended a, a funeral or any kind of service that had any small religious connotation to it at all, you've heard the song, Amazing Grace. And that's John Newton. So John Newton begins to develop a community with William Cooper. And he begins to to invest in his life. 
William Cooper's life absolutely turns around. And when you read about William Cooper, because of the influence of John Newton, because John Newton simply said, there is somebody else out there that my life should be pouring into. And he didn't just look in the mirror every day and think how great he was, because son of a gun, he wrote Amazing Grace. Pagans know that song. Everybody knows that song. He could have easily looked at his life and went, you know, my life is too full, or it's full enough. I don't need anybody else. I, I don't need another friend. He looked at a guy who they shared backyards and saw value in William Cooper. He didn't see a stutter. He didn't see a stammer. He didn't see institutionalized for insanity. He didn't see, impre- he didn't see depression. He saw somebody that he needed to build community with. And so, John Newton heavily influenced William Cooper. And William Cooper, when you read about William Cooper, he revolutionized what is known as hymnology and what hymns were like in his daytime. And he celebrated for that. And so we sang some of his song this morning, and I want to read some of it to you. Actually, I'm going to read a lot of it to you. There's more verses than what's here. But William Cooper wrote this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Wash all my sins away. Wash all my sins away. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power to all the ransomed church of God. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. To all the ransomed church of God, be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme. thought this would be easier. <clears throat> and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. And this is where it gets personal for William Cooper. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing my power to save. Like many iconic biblical characters, there would have been no William Cooper without John Newton. There would have been no Apostle Paul without Barnabas. There would have been no Jonathan without his armor bearer. And there would have been no David without Jonathan. There would have been no Moses 
without Aaron and without her. And so we are the One Hope community. That's who we are. Being in community is difficult. It's dirty. It's painful. It's costly. But most likely, you will not be who you could be without community. Without somebody knowing who you are, caring about who you are, carrying your burdens. So I didn't intend on telling you this story, but I think I'm supposed to. Many years ago, heavily depressed, never wanted to get out of bed, just life up until this year was the worst life, my, worst year of my life. And so a friend of mine who's sitting in this room um, prayed for me one day, which we all pray for each other. If you're connected to this church at all, you know that we pray for each other more than most churches do. And I don't know about most churches, but I know some pastors who are connected to you all who, who are honestly and perpetually dumbfounded at how much we pray for each other. And so this friend of mine um, prayed that God would take all the burdens that were on me off of me and put them on him. I never had an experience before. I've never even heard anybody talk about that before. And so um, I didn't know that was happening. So I wake up one day, and man, my burdens are gone. I mean, like from the east is from the west, like the sea of forgetfulness, gone. And I get out of bed, and I'm going, what in the world? I was going to say heck. I was going to say heck. Shame on you for thinking different. Shame on you. But my burdens are gone. I mean, gone, gone, like Johnny Cash, like Elvis's money, gone. Gone. I had no idea why, so I go into their store, and Steve Holt says, how do you feel? And I said, dude, I can't tell you how good I feel. Why do you ask? Why would you ask? And he said, this is why. And I said, so I know how you feel. He said, I feel like I have cement blocks for shoes. He said, I can't hardly function. Do you remember that? You have to be in community. It hurts, and it's costly, it's painful, and it's dirty, and it's ugly, but it's also life-giving. It's also fantastic. And it's also joyous. And it's fun, and it's funny. So, let me ask you this. For those of you who call this place home, and you have for the past 11 months, how many of you have swept a floor in this building? Stand up. At any given time, you had a broom in your hand. Have any of you ran a machine in this building? Like you ground on the floor. Anybody? Just keep standing. Don't, don't sit down. Okay. Anybody strip wallpaper? Stand up. Anybody paint? Anybody pull up carpet? I'm going to run through the list. Stand up when, you're, when, I hit, when I hit home. Anybody do ceiling tile? Steve Holt? 
See, I know what you've done, Tom Sutter. I know what you've done. I saw you scraping up the stuff that was on this floor. Right? Anybody cook a meal for us who are here working? Yes. Tony? Yes? Right. Anybody, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> anybody do any kind of electric work? Anybody clean up outside, run a, run a chainsaw or a shovel or, okay. Anybody thought a breaker was off and it wasn't and you got shocked? <laughs> now, if that is, okay, now everybody else sit down except that. <laughs> no, no, Rob, see, I know who it is, right? Okay, uh, yes, yeah. Anybody on a scaffold that didn't want to be? Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's, so a couple of things happen in community. One, you learn sometimes more than you wish you knew. Um, and then sometimes you learn um, the value of humans and the value of people and the value of fellowship and the value of community itself. So the thing that makes the church the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Without the gospel, I don't care what name is over a building, without the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save sinners. Paul said, Jesus died on the cross to save sinners, of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. A lot of our theology comes from Paul. And Paul goes, look, if the sinners had a football team, I'm the quarterback. Right? That's how Paul described himself. The gospel is central to any church. If you have a church where the gospel is not center, you are probably... More of a civic club. More of, a, more of a warm and fuzzy kind of place. You might do really great things for the community. And there's nothing wrong with civic clubs, line clubs, elk clubs, lodge. Whatever those things are, there's nothing wrong with those. But the church is the church because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that God sent Jesus down on the cross for humanity. Who would never ever be good enough to get to God on their own. And so what Jesus did was bridge the gap, is how the Apostle Paul said it, that there was this great chasm between man and God, and the man Christ Jesus stood in the middle. He didn't stand off the side hoping that we could ever be good enough. He didn't watch from a distance hoping that, well, someday they'll figure it out and they'll clean up. If we could ever clean ourselves up, there would have never been a cross. If we could have ever done enough good things, we'd have never needed Jesus to die for us. And so Paul says what Jesus did was what we could have never done for ourselves, and he bridged the gap between God and man, and that's why the church is different than any other entity on the planet. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So why is community important? We're going to look at a verse from Proverbs. And this is central to community. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So has anybody finished drywall in this building? You know what anybody finished drywall? You've had a mud knife in your hand and, and done any of that. Jess? Some others have. So Jess, come up here, please. Come on. You? You're the only, I think you're the only Jess here. 
just stand up here next to me. Okay, so these are mine, right? So you've had these in your hands, right? Okay, so we have, these are two mud knives, right? Okay, if you don't know what these are, just humor me. Now, this one um, is maybe one you like, right? Why? It's shiny, right? Let's see if I can catch, right? Okay. Um, But also, it's like the, I feel like I should be asking if you want fried rice, right? Right? Anybody? Okay, so, now, um, most of my knives are incredibly sharp. This one is not so much. You can run your finger across the top of that. Not so much? No, you've had these before. Yeah, you've touched these. Okay, so. um, This one is pretty new. Now, this one will always be shiny because of what it looks like. And I'll be honest with you, uh, you know I love tools. Love tools. I, I wander around Home Depot, right? Touch them, right? Uh, right. Uh, I'll stop. It's what you do with shoes, Kelly. So I know what your, your boots or whatever you're trying to do, right? Okay, so um, anybody who has, who has mudded drywall with me, I give them the same speech. Like, look, do not touch these because, do not touch the tips of these because they're very, very sharp. So um, let me find something I'm done with. No, I'm not done with that. I'm done with this. All right, so I want you to hold that just across like that. Hold it tightly, right? Ready? Let's do this one. Hold that. I normally not do that. Okay, so anybody, you can take that with you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's the words to my favorite hymn. Um, here's what I tell everybody. Do not, when you clean these, when you touch these, do not touch the ends. Do not touch the blades because they will cut you. They'll cut you deeply because um, I use them a lot. And when I use them, I'm constantly doing this. Constantly. 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 And that's why they will cut you. And they'll cut you deeply. Now, here's what I know. This one, I don't know if we can cut butter with this. Because it hasn't been used enough. It doesn't have enough experience. It hasn't been around long enough. It hasn't been sharpened by constant contact. My others have. Some of these are older than all of my children. I've had them a long, long time. Iron sharpens iron, so people sharpen each other. Which means you have to have constant contact. You have to have people around you that are sharpening you. And in order for that to happen, uh, they're going to be knocking rough edges off of you. Have you ever had a rough edge knocked off? How'd that feel? Not great. Not great. Because we've spent a lifetime with those rough edges. We like where we are. Most of you have spent a lifetime putting them there. And now you have somebody in your life that's trying to knock them off. And you don't like that. You don't like what they have to say. You don't like that that's pushing against you. And you rebel against that. And all of a sudden, they're the problem. Not your rough edges. Iron sharpens iron. So people sharpen each other. It's constant contact. It is that over and over and over and over and over again. 
And that's what community looks like. That's what it feels like. And in all the pain and all the aggravation and all the anxiety and all the fear and all the stuff that goes along with that, you are constantly being sharpened. And your character will not get any better unless you are in community. You have to be in community. So, probably one of the more popular verses in all of Scripture about community and about each other comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's verses 9 to 12. Now, um, if you catch me afterwards, I'll tell you a story about this. I can't tell you the story up front. Um, and some of you know this story because we've met the same waitress at Heber and Grill. Um, so some of you know this story. Um, but if you catch me afterwards, I'll tell you. I, it, it, it includes a little bit of language I won't use up here. So... Um, Solomon says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That's very self-explanatory. So I'm going to tell you a story to help you understand the power of community, the power of being more than just one. During the Holocaust, the occupied French collaboration delivered 83,000 Jews to the Nazis. 83,000. Out of France. 10,000 of those were children. Out of that 83,000, only 3,000 ever returned. Only 3,000. Now, there's several little towns that helped Jewish refugees. One of the more famous towns is Le Chambon. I'm going to mispronounce it, so forgive me. Um, Le Chambon sur Lignon, L-I-G-N-O-N. And so in this little town, there was a pastor of this little Protestant church. And he moved there in 1931. And as the Holocaust and the Nazis and all of this stuff began to happen, One cold winter night, a single Jewish lady showed up at his door looking for for refuge. And so he he and his wife sheltered this lady. At any given time in their village, they housed more people than their original population. Let that sink in. When the Nazis would come looking for refugees, looking for Jewish people, they would take the people that they were hiding and send them out into the woods to hide while their homes and churches and uh, government buildings were being searched. As soon as the Nazis were gone, the church people would go out into the woods and sing. And that was the signal to, so that the refugees could come back to their homes. 
They house them in, in uh, businesses, in personal homes, in churches. Any place where they could hide them, they hid them. Upwards of 5,000 people. Not one person who ever took refuge in their village was ever captured. Not one. The nephew of the pastor was eventually arrested and sent to a concentration camp where he was murdered. One day, two buses show up to their village with the anticipation of gathering as many Jewish refugees as they could. They left the next day empty. The local Protestant organization had said to the pastor, you've got to stop doing this. And you know what their reason was? Because you're going to make the Protestant church look bad. You're going to make the Protestant church look bad. This little town, remote, isolated, better than 5,000 refugees found them and were rescued. We are a church because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a church that looks fairly homogenous on the outside. But once you step in community, you figure out that we are really weird. <laughs> and when you sit on any given Sunday and you look out and you go, um, you know, you just baptized two lesbians, right? I'm like, yeah, because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, their Savior. Well, you know, you have, you, you, what about, the, look, here's the deal. We have a lost and dying world that outside of Jesus Christ is a lost and dying world. Our simple push, our simple agenda, our simple goal is that everybody in our lives comes to know Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. Not that they get cleaned up and then, well, now I can come to church. We're never, ever going to get that clean. We're not. Not this side of heaven. You're never going to look right all the time. You're never going to smell right all the time. You're never going to not slip and say almost a cuss word in a sermon. <laughs> really. It's not going to happen. So we simply believe in this place that we're the One Hope Community Church. That we have Jesus Christ as our One Hope. That community is important to us. That we're a part of each other's lives when it's not fun, when it's dirty, when it hurts, when we may have to suck it up to be in somebody else's life. Because we believe that's what community looks like. That we are not all going to agree on everything. 
especially when it comes to politics. Because you don't really read much in the Bible about what God cares about your politics. And we are a church. We're an ecclesia. We are the called out ones. If this is the place you call home, nothing I said to you is new. This is all old stuff to you. You know the gig, man. You are part of this family till the bitter end. So God calls you home, and we are glad you're here. If you're a guest of somebody else today, this is us. Wait, isn't that a TV show? Well, this is it. I think it is. Right. I have no idea what that TV show is. So please, I, don't come, don't send me an email. <laughs> so I trust me that will end up in spam. I have no idea what that show is. Uh, it could be great. It could be horrible. I don't know. But this is what we know. We look different, we sound different, we feel different because we are different. Life is not easy. Being in my life is not easy. Being in your life is not easy. We just make a conscious choice to be there, to show up. So let's pray. Father, help us to have hearts that are always amazed in your presence. Not always comfortable, not always at ease, not always fun, not always sad, not always happy, but that we are amazed in your presence because you are who you are. So Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for allowing us to be in this space, thanking you that we can share today with you on our church birthday of 13 years that we, you have put us into a space to call home for your kingdom and for your glory and for your honor and that you will help us to be a lamp on a stand and a city on a hill to Hebron, to Boone County, to Kentucky, to Ohio, to the states, to the world that we will point people to Jesus. Father, we thank you for the food that's been provided today, for all the work that went into that, for the, ship, for the fellowship that we get to have because of that, that you would bless that to nourish our bodies, strengthen us for your work. You are good, and man, we love you. And we've come to you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.